Welcome to the Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor podcast with Victor Dadaj, where you'll hear stories and strategies to help increase your sales and grow your business. Here's your host, Victor Dadaj. All right, welcome to Entrepreneur's Visiting Victor. I'm your host, Victor Dadaj. I hope you're having an amazing day so far. Today, we have an awesome guest. He is a residential real estate builder and developer. He is also a podcast host. He is the CEO of Norhart, and they design, build, and rent apartments. They are transforming the way this is done by incorporating technologies and techniques that have revolutionized other industries. And this has resulted in improved quality and reduced cost of housing. Ultimately, they are committed to solving America's housing shortage and affordability crisis. And in doing so, they hope to improve the way we all live. So let's welcome Mike Kading. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing really well. Thanks for having me. Uh, it's great to have you on. So, Mike, I'd like to get started by asking you to please share your story. How did you wind up becoming an entrepreneur? Yeah, you know, originally this business was my parents' business. They started it. We, I grew up with it. And as we grew up, uh, we ended up losing everything at one point. My dad got kidnapped in Peru. But as I grew up with it, I was out there swinging the hammer, picking up nails, doing some basics, and eventually kind of learned the world of real estate. But then I went off to college and I wanted nothing to do with the family business. In fact, the reason that was deep down is that I didn't want people to think it was given to me. So I had to really wrestle with my own ego. But once I got past that, what I realized deep down is that I wanted to make some kind of meaningful, positive impact in the world. And why not take this small business and grow it to something much larger to have that kind of impact? So I jumped in, my dad and I doubled the size of the company in the first couple of years, but then overnight, uh, my dad passed away. So overnight I became the CEO. I didn't take the title for like five years because I didn't feel like I earned it yet, but really we just started plowing forward to try to see if we can reduce the cost of construction and our dream really. And what we're doing is trying to solve that so that we can drive down the cost of housing by as much as 50%. Imagine one day what your life would be like if your mortgage payment or rent was half. And that's what we're working on today. Well, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing. So basically you grew up in, in the business. It was your parents' yeah. business. You learned you learned the business from them. But for a little while, you wanted to get away from it because you didn't want everyone to think that it was all handed to you. So you went to college and then you later came back. And the, one of the things you wanted to do was to make a positive impact in the world. And then you and your dad worked together. You doubled the business. Then, unfortunately, tragically, your dad passed away. And then um, you wind up having to take uh, control over the business. And one of the things you uh, you mentioned is that you wanted to figure out how to lower the cost of construction, if, if possible, all the way lower it by up to 50%. And if you could find a way to do it, that would be really awesome because we know over the last 30 mm -hmm. something years, the prices of you know houses and, and mortgages have just skyrocketed. You could buy a home like in 1972 for like $12,000 and uh, you're paying now it's like $500,000, a million, a million and a half. It's like depending on the area of the country you're in, like the prices of, and I guess a big part is probably the cost of construction, right? Absolutely. I mean, you look at those prices, they've skyrocketed compared to the cost of or the increase of our incomes. 
And so it's a big, major problem in the United States. And I think the core issue there, just as you mentioned, is really the cost of building the units. I mean, if you look at things like the iPhone, if there weren't radical improvements in the way they manufacture those computers and those phones, our phones today would cost $10,000 and be the size of a giant brick, right? In the world of construction, there's been no meaningful improvement over the past 60 years. And that's what we're aiming to change. Well, I didn't even think about it. So there's been no real influence over the over the you know the way construction has been done the last 60 years. Now, obviously you're looking to see how you can improve construction and lower the cost. Are there any other groups that you're aware of that are looking at the same problem? You know, because you know, politicians often talk about it, but it's just to get talking points across, but a lot of them really are not too serious about it. They just want to get votes. So are you aware of any other people that are looking to seriously tackle this problem? Or are you one of the small minorities who's doing it? There are, there's, I would say, a lot of people trying to innovate in this space. Um, I don't know if people are meaningfully thinking about costs. And what I mean by that is there's groups that do 3D concrete printed houses it's amazing. It's really kind of a cool technology. It doesn't meaningfully solve costs. There's other groups doing um, volumetric construction, so building components of buildings or entire units inside of factory settings, which is pretty cool. But because of transportation and things, at least in our area of the country, there's no savings in cost in that. And so while I think there's lots of great innovation, lots of great companies working on things that could have a component to solving costs, Really, the way you solve costs is very different than that. It's less flashy, less exciting, but there are ways you can meaningfully drive down the cost of constructing new homes. And what would what would a couple of those ways be that you know companies could find to lower construction costs? Because you know, I I think that would make a lot more people happy because if they're lowering the cost, they can afford to sell the house at a lower price and they're still making a good profit. Exactly. That's right. So uh, to kind of one simple step is we brought all the work underneath one company. So in the world of construction, you've got a bunch of different companies that come together for a project and then come apart. Uh, so like you have an electrician, your plumbery, HVAC, your general contractor, your concrete, all these things are different companies coming together. It creates a tremendous amount of inefficiency. Brought all that work under one roof. Once we did that, we could start applying some simple techniques from other industries. For example, the assembly line, right? This revolutionized manufacturing. Why not try it on construction? And but, but the challenge is you can't take a building and drive it down a line. But what you can do is you can take the person and move them through the building. So right now, every five hours, all our different teams shift by one unit through the building. So if you look at the end of our building, every five hours, we have a brand new apartment unit completed. And just that one technique takes a project that might take 15 months and drives it down to nine. But there are 10,000 little things like that, that if you bring them together into one system, you can have a meaningful impact on the cost of construction. That's an interesting idea. I never thought of it. I wasn't aware that that if there's so much inefficiencies in the structure, because there's a lot of different companies coming around and there's no centralization, for example. And then um, after the project's on, they kind of like split apart. And then- well, one, um, 
It's One crazy thing, and I've seen this before, is you you actually have animosity between trades. You'll have one trade, one company come in, install their work, and the next company is upset with where they put their work because it's now in their way. And so they actually cut it out of the wall and just to like make a statement, quote unquote, that you shouldn't be in our way. It's 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 not great. That's not always the case. Those are more extreme examples, but that's sort of the sentiment that's felt. Yeah, because I guess you have egos involved, and that's part of the problem. So, um, and they're 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 not part of the same company, so they're not part of the same mission. They're not working for the same goals. They're supposed to be, but they're not because their loyalty, I guess, is more to the company. So that that's it's that, not yeah. even the same union, right? You would almost think like, hey guys, let's get one union all together, so at least we're all on the mm-hmm. same page. We had conversations with unions, and and I asked them. I said. Well, okay, you do, this was the general contract, uh, one of the unions. They said, uh, okay, you don't do electrical, you don't do plumbing. So if I contact those other unions, do you guys all work well together? And when he told me, he said, Mike, fences make good neighbors. Wow. <laughs> Basically admitting that we don't work well with them. We'll, we'll stay in our lane, they'll stay in their lane, and that's how it is. Wow, it's just I guess it's so so territorial. You don't want to work so you just want to handle their own little area and that's it. They don't care about anything else. Yeah. Uh that's wow. It's I'm learning a lot today. Now you have an interesting idea, like you know, kind of similar to the assembly line. You have you have the mercy move the person through the shift and like like and then like every five well, that was a, every five or fifteen hours a new unit is, is built because you're moving the pe- people through and uh, through the shift and things are getting done. So it's similar to a similar, obviously you can't do that with a building, but you can use some of the similar concepts. So, you know, hopefully uh, more companies will be listening to you and, uh, you know, utilizing some of those things that you're doing. So I guess this is some of the things you're using in in, in your company, because obviously uh, you guys have been experiencing, you know, a good amount of growth. Is that some of the reasons why you guys are growing and doing so well? Are there other reasons as well? Yeah, you know the heart of it is from financially perspective. From a financial perspective, we've been growing quite rapidly because our costs are so low. And so, if we build a building for a hundred million dollars, our costs might be seventy million dollars or seventy-five million dollars. Where the way the banking system works is typically banks will offer you about seventy-five percent of value, so they'll give us seventy-five million. Well, if that's the case, we're not limited. From capital perspective, we're only limited on the rate that we can build up our systems and the teams and the infrastructure to be able to produce the units that we are. And so that's how it traditionally has been. It's been a little harder um, more recently because of the rise of interest rates. With rising interest rates means that banks are a little bit more skittish. They're not willing to give as much money toward projects. And so now what we're having to do is just raise capital also through some other methods, which is very normal in the space, but it's new for us. And so one kind of fun thing that we've done is we asked ourselves, well, what can we do differently in the investment space? Right now, most people can't invest in real estate. And the reason that is, is because you have to be an accredited investor. Well, what if we go the harder route Get full approval from the SEC, go through the audits, the thousands of pages of legal docs, the hundreds of thousands of dollars spent. But if we do all of that, now anyone nationwide can invest. And so that we launched that a few months ago. And now that's been a lot of fun watching that grow 
And it's just another way we're raising capital for the projects that we're doing. And that's very interesting. Yeah, so there are always going to be challenges. Like you say, higher interest rates make things harder and people having trouble, you know, you know, investing in real estate. But you they always got to find out are there other ways of doing things, doing it better. There's always challenges to things. How can you work around? It usually there's another solution around there. And a lot of people give up. But it seems like you guys did not. You guys found other ways to be more innovative, which is uh, which is really which is really great. Now, obviously, this is some of the challenges you face. What are some of the other big challenges that you know you've encountered in your business? What have been some of the lessons you've learned? Because um, I'm sure there are a lot of people look, looking to get in real estate and construction, and maybe they're trying to find ways to do things better, and they're struggling. So maybe you can give them some encouragement of how they can succeed and overcome these uh, challenges. Oh, there's so much there, but I'll give you the most important lesson I've ever learned, mm-hmm. and that is simply to hire the very best people. When I mean the best, I truly mean the best. We have employees that in 2007, Steve Jobs announces the iPhone. Steve Jobs walks off stage and our employee walks on that same stage following his presentation or our employee walks on the same stage. That It's that kind of caliber of person. Uh, and what I often get back at this point is they say, Mike, that sounds expensive. How in the world, like I can't afford that caliber of person. My response is this, the best people are expensive. They're the most expensive on a cost per person basis. But what most business leaders fail to understand is that the best people outperform the average by two to five to 10 times as much. And so if you look at it instead on a cost per unit produced, The best people are actually your least expensive. And not only that, they change the game. They unlock doors and make things happen that you didn't know were even possible. And so for those who are afraid they can't afford to hire the best, my simple answer back is that you can't afford not to. And that's a really good point. I think it's like a lot of people, they're afraid to invest in something you know, in, a, in stocks or in companies or invest in a business, you know, they, they may not want to, you know, do a home-based business because this is, uh, it costs money, but it's like, they, they, or, or a program that can change a lot. The thing is they only look at the cost, but they never look at the possible return on investment. One thing you mentioned there is the return on investment and hiring the best people, they cost more money, but they can a- increase the, uh, you know, outperform two to five to 10 times better than the average. So if they can outperform, say, five times the average, it's definitely worth it. So don't just look at the cost. Look at what are the rates of return you're getting on that investment. And it seems like, uh, and, and I guess things have changed so much because uh, everything is uh, is so short-term uh, viewed, like short-term quarterly profits. Uh, if you miss by one set, you know, you're, they they, they your stock price gets obliterated. So companies are doing everything they can. So they try to keep costs down, but they don't look at the long-term picture. So if you get the best employees and, you know, maybe in the short term, you may take a little while, but man, after a year or two, your results are skyrocketing because you hired the best people. But again, there's a lot of pressure, I think, to keep focus on the short-term results and it and it causes long-term pain. If you hire the best people, you'll get those results. And I, I think a lot of people just don't look at the big picture. Would you agree? Okay, now, now, now you can. Yeah, now just say, would you agree with what I just said? Oh yeah, I would. 
Awesome. Okay, no, good stuff. No, yeah, uh, yes, that's, that was a very powerful point. And um, uh, another thing you talk about is not just hiring the best people and finding the best people. You also talk about creating that company culture. So talk a little bit more about the importance of culture and how you can develop that 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 really great company culture so that people are happy, they perform better, and they don't they don't leave. Yeah, company culture is utterly critical for a great success. And there's lots of wonderful statistics out there that kind of tell you that, but you can get a feel for the importance just in this following statement is if you just have people's hands, just the, I will do what you tell me to do, go do the work and then go do it. That's a far lower productivity and output than if you have their hearts or their passion, they're excited, they're glad to come to work, they're coming up with new ideas, they're pushing things forward. It is a huge difference between those two, but you only get their hearts if you've earned their heart. And so, um, boy, there, this is a huge can of worms to get into, but I would say the first thing for company culture is yourself as a leader. You've got to be in the right mindset. You've got to be the kind of person that, that you want the organization to be. The second thing is understand your purpose, your mission, your values, and What's most important with this is make them authentic. Don't create something that's not true with the culture, who you are, or what you're trying to build. Then make them simple, easy to understand. And then I would say you need to be really good about hiring to that and, and firing to that. One of the things we've found is it's really hard to find great people. I mean, everyone finds us, right? So we were up against the same problems. How do we go about solving it? At this point in our company's size, we're about 100 employees. We ended up hiring on 14 recruiters, 14. And we built out an entire team to really be focused at finding the very, very best people. And there's some interesting techniques there. But we've gotten to the point now that we have an acceptance rate in our company of 0.4%. Give you some perspective, Harvard is like 4%. And I think the construction industry is maybe around 50%. So it's incredibly selective. And we've been building that up through kind of getting excitement and energy around our company. Um, once, once they're here, I mean, really picking the interview process is important. We do a values-based interview. We do a skills-based interview. And then once they're here, for most employees, they go through a trial period. And so the trial period is two weeks long. At the end of that time period, your coworkers will decide whether or not you actually get hired on permanently onto that team. And so I, I could go on and on. There's there's so much there that you really have to put energy and emphasis on making that important to you in an organization, but it pays off in dividends. Yeah, and again, it's, uh, part of it seems to be having that long-term view for the, for the culture. So you got to set the example you got to make people clear about the mission, the purpose, and the value of the company. And when you find a great people, you, you listed several things. I like that last part there. You know, you, know, you guys give person basically a two-week trial period. It's, I guess it's like a probationary period. And, and then at the end of the two weeks, you guys decide whether you want to keep them or not. And um, so I think that makes a lot of sense. Because sometimes, you know, no matter what you do, you might hire someone. They look good, but 
it sounds like they don't work out at all. But if you give them a trial period, you you get a sense after a couple of weeks whether they're going to fit or not. So that's definitely uh, I, I like that idea. It sounds very uh, intriguing, and uh, maybe more companies should start looking at doing something similar to that. Um, so now, a question about the current employees that uh, companies have. You know what what is what are some of the things they can do? You know, you mentioned about the culture and the mission. What are some of the other things they can do to keep the employees happy and to uh, make them achieve higher productivity? Um, one simple technique is do a survey every six months and be serious about that survey. Uh, we use a nationwide company to do our surveys. We give all the survey results to our employees. And one of the reports is how I scored as the leader of the organization. Well, guess what? The first report everyone sees unedited. It's my results. Mm -hmm. On top of that, we actually post our results up onto our website where you can actually read the comments, the good, bad, and the ugly. Everything is on there. So be honest with where you're at. Then what we do is we take the most important items off of the, that list every six months, and then we take that as actionable to-dos. And then we work on that over the next six months to make improvements. Um, another thing we do is uh, orientation. Uh, I actually lead all of our orientations every single uh, week. And I think that's important because I want to set the tone, the right environment for the culture. We give a lot of stories and examples. So they get a good feel, videos and stuff. So they get a good feel of what the culture we're trying to build is. Then uh, two months later, they come back for what we call follow-up orientation. And the whole point of follow-up orientation is for them to tell me that I'm full of it, right? <laughs> what did I say that wasn't true, right? What do I need to know so that I can go fix whatever issues are that don't line up with that? And what we found over time after making improvements is that people say at orientation, they're like, Mike, I thought you were completely full of it orientation. But the moment I walked on site and actually met the people, I was blown away. I've never been to a company like this before, at least in the world of construction. Um. So those are a couple more things. I would also say you need to pay top of market. Uh, we never want pay or benefits to be the reason why somebody leaves a company. It's not the reason they stay, but it could be a reason they leave if you're not being thoughtful about it. So we tell people, if you get a call from a recruiter from another company, take the phone call. We encourage them to take it because A, that's what's better for them, but it's also the best way for us to know what the market's at. And so if you get a better offer someone, somewhere, guess what? We're going to change the entire pay scale, not just your pay, but for the pay for you and all of your coworkers to reflect what the market is actually at. Most businesses don't do that because they see that as an expense, but what you find is you lose your good people, right? And you're like, okay, I'll just hire someone new. They're not, it's, you're going to get, you had a 5X productivity before, and now you're placing someone at a 1X productivity. You lost, Right pay people what they're actually worth. And people respect that too. They realize that you're trying to do right by them. And then what's amazing is when you go through tough times, they work to do right by you. And so one of the things I tell our team all the time is I say, it works really well if the company is doing all they can to support the employee and the employee is doing all they can to support the company. But if either side of that pulls back, you kind of have a mess on your hands. And so you got to do that. You have to do your side of it as the employer. 
I, I think that's some really great insight. So you do these surveys every six months, you look at the results, you see how you can improve it, and then you do it again uh, six months later, you do the orientation, then you do a follow-up orientation, and you mentioned you try to pay top of the market. And and like you said, a lot of companies will do that. They, they'll they try to lowball people over a couple of thousand, three thousand and you know when they're hiring and also for raises and like you said it's not necessarily the reason um they, they you know they they stay but it could be a reason why they leave so um again lack of appreciation is a big reason why people leave and that's one of the reasons they may feel unappreciated it's like they did so much great work but you you gave them like a thousand dollar raise instead of like a five or ten thousand dollar raise and they did so much for the company but like you said companies unfortunately see um expense these employees as expenses and what's interesting is some of the corporations that they have no problems with the top guys giving them huge 30 million dollar bonuses but they're going to lowball some of the employees or people that they're hiring and then and the sticking point could be an extra three thousand you know you know hiring them or not and you could lose out a really great employee and like you say we'll replace them but you may get someone who's not as good and plus even if they're pretty good it's going to take a while for you to train them. So better to keep someone who's good at what they're doing. You don't have to train them. You don't lose that momentum. So again, it's another example of short-sighted thinking, which a lot of companies unfortunately uh, have, which uh, you know they can learn from some of the things you guys are doing. So definitely some really good stuff there, Mike. Now, as we're going toward the end of the interview, are there any last-minute pieces of advice uh, that you'd like to share with our audience? Oh, boy. There's so much. But since we're talking about um employee culture i'll give you one kind of last interesting one this one we stole from netflix it's called the keeper test the idea is if a particular employee were to quit how hard would you fight to change their mind if the answer is you would fight tooth and nail to keep them because they're freaking awesome great they're the right person but if it's anything shy of that then they're not the right person See, for us, for most companies, they know that they don't want the bad employees. Most companies know they want to keep the great ones. But where Netflix and on us too, where we're different, is that we don't want to keep the average. Instead, we want just the top, the best people because they change the world. But I think what happens a lot of times for managers is you have an employee that's it's doing okay, it's, they're working out, but... They're not amazing, but it'd be hard to hire someone new. It's got all the work, train someone new, right? And you kind of just sit in this like comfortable zone of, I'm not going to make a change. I'm telling you, I've seen what amazing teams look like. It is worth making those changes until you find the right people to have a truly world-class team. It will change your game. So take the hard pill, take the pain, Make the switch and find the right people. Uh, I like that the uh, the keeper says you're going to fight super super hard to want to keep and they're the right employee. But if you really don't want to fight too hard, they're probably not the right employee. So maybe best just to replace with someone you really do want to keep. Like you said, in the long term, your results going to be so much better instead of like keeping some guys who are like pretty good but not great but you're comfortable with them. And, and comfort is something that uh, messes up so many people and messes up mm -hmm. a lot of companies, getting out of that comfort zone. So listen, uh, you know, Mike, I want to thank you so much for being on the show. You shared a lot of great wisdom, a lot of great advice, a lot of great tips. And I know the people listening to this podcast appreciate all the good stuff that you shared. And if people want to get in touch with you, Mike, what is the best way for them to contact you? 
Yeah, the best way is to visit our website. That's norhart.com, N-O-R-H-A-R-T.com. A couple of fun things on there. The first is that investment platform we talked about earlier. Great place to earn a high rate of return for locking in money between six and 24 months. But the other one, and you mentioned this at the beginning, is our show called Zero to Unicorn. It's about the journey of small groups growing to billion dollar scale or making a billion dollar impact. Uh, one of our most recent episodes that dropped was Michael Usland. He's the originator and the executive producer of Batman, as well as Lego movies, National Treasure, and many others. And it was interesting. The journey that he went on from, from the point he was able to get the movie rights, to the point he was able to convince enough people to be able to make this movie, it took him 10 years. 10 years of people slamming the door in his face saying that his idea was crazy. He should give it up. And so that's my encouragement to all of your listeners is you've got a great idea. Don't give up. It takes time. Very inspirational. Very inspirational. Thanks again, Mike. Really appreciate it. Have yourself an amazing day. Yeah, you too. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. If you've enjoyed listening, please smash that subscribe button so you don't miss any of our amazing episodes. Please also leave a five-star rating review and have an awesome day.